This project was independently produced by the team at Double Asterisk. We want to create a user-supported model for podcasts that doesn't rely on advertisers. So if you enjoy this series, please consider a small donation to our Patreon account, which can be found at patreon.com forward slash double asterisk media. Thank you. Tucked away in the southwestern corner of China, Yunnan is the most biodiverse province in the country. Home to several large lakes and many rivers, Yunnan has long been a destination for biologists, looking to catalog new plant and animal species. The province is said to be home to more flowering plants than the rest of the northern hemisphere combined, and it's in Yunnan where one would find almost three-quarters of all of the protected wild animal species in China, including 65% of China's different bird species. But for the last 10 years, medical researchers from around China have been taking regular trips to Yunnan because of a particular species that is known to thrive there. Bats. In the spring of 2012, six men were sent into an old mine shaft in the Yunnan municipality of Mojang. The 150-meter-deep shaft had been cut into a cave years prior, but after much neglect, it had become home to large colonies of bats. Before extractive work could begin again in the mine, the reeking, hardened piles of bat guano that had accumulated over the years had to be removed. So these six men got to work, hacking away at the dried bat feces with picks and shovels, but without proper protective equipment. Lou went to the hospital because for the previous three days, he'd been having trouble breathing. This breathing issue developed after Lou had already had a fever and a cough for two weeks. He explained to doctors that he had been working in a mine clearing bat feces. He was moved to the Kunming Medical University, where doctors listened to his breathing and heard moist crackles at the base of both of Lou's lungs. CT scans confirmed thrombosis in his lungs, as well as other markings and opacities. Several remote meetings were held with specialists from around the country, including with Dr. Zhang Nanshen, the Chinese hero of the first SARS pandemic, but Lu couldn't be helped. He died at 42 years old. Zhu, at 64 years of age, had been pulling seven-hour shifts in the mine for two weeks. After 10 days of chest pain and difficulty breathing, he finally went to the hospital at the Kunming Medical University on April 26, 2012. 12 days later, Zhu was dead. All six of the men, tasked with clearing the bat feces, became incredibly sick after working in the cave. Mr. Guo would ultimately spend 109 days in hospital. Like the others, he had sought medical care because of chest tightness and trouble breathing. He had a fever and a cough. On June 27th, doctors performed a thymectomy on Mr. Guo, which is the surgical removal of the thymus, a gland responsible for the early childhood development of the immune system. On August 13th, Mr. Guo also succumbed to his illness. The other three miners, Li, Mr. Liu, and Mr. Wu, all survived. The question is, what were these six men suffering from? A viral infection? A fungal infection? The treatment courses for the six miners included mechanical ventilation, supplemental oxygen, and a host of pharmaceuticals, including blood thinners, antifungals, antivirals, antibiotics, 
and steroids. Based on their symptoms and ultimate treatments, it looks to some as though what these men were suffering from back in 2012 was very, very similar to an illness the world now calls COVID-19, which is caused by a virus called SARS-CoV-2. In China, the city of Wuhan is still on lockdown, with Americans trapped inside as the number of worldwide cases... The coronavirus in Italy has surged by 919 in a single day. That is more than double. scientist Tulio de Oliveira discovered the new variant after observing a dramatic... acting as an accelerant to conspiracy theories. The digital era we live in came as the United States recorded more than 2,400 deaths in just... ...that has been reported from Brazil. And the third has come as the more contagious today, variant of COVID-19 number of deaths recorded from COVID in the UK has passed Wuhan, China show it likely play a role in the development of China. Study into the origins of COVID-19, uh, they've concluded that it's unlikely it came from a Wuhan lab. I'm John Duffy, and this is Origins, Birth of a Pandemic, Part 1. The story of the six miners in Mojang did circulate a little, including in 2014, when science ran a story called A New Killer Virus in China. But, for the most part, they were forgotten. The short article in Science explains that after the miners became ill, a group of scientists went to the cave where the miners had been working to begin taking samples from the bats, rats, and musk shrews that resided there. The intricate details of this whole business with the miners we now know thanks to Dr. Jonathan Latham and Dr. Allison Wilson of the Bioscience Resource Project. My name is Jonathan Latham. I am the executive director of the Bioscience Resource Project. I'm also the editor of Independent Science News, and I have a PhD in virology, and I was a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Wisconsin. Myself and Alison Wilson, we left academic science, and we were interested, nevertheless, in participating in the scientific process. You know, it was obvious to us that there were biases and flaws in the self-correcting nature of science, which meant that things that seemed to us very important were not being picked up on by scientists or by the media. So we decided to do two things. We would publish papers in the scientific literature as basically independent scientists, but also provide a news service for people. Both Dr. Latham and Dr. Wilson, who are married, wanted to exit academia, and not only wanted to continue to publish scientific research, but also to speak more generally to the public at large. To do this, they founded an online magazine called Independent Science News. One of their great successes with this project was a series called The Poison Papers. So we had writing for us a lady called Carol Van Strum, and she used to write really interesting things about toxic chemicals, and I often could not publish them because she needed to be able to verify what her information was. So she would tell us interesting things about the EPA and about the behavior of companies and what was happening in the world of toxicology and pesticides especially. But basically she could never support the allegations that she made. And I said, well, well, how do you know whether something is true or not? And she said, well, it's in my basement, it's in my barn, it's in my 
whatever, like I have all these documents. And so we figured out she had all these documents. And so we organized to have them scanned and put online. And now they've been donated to the University of California in San Francisco. I asked Dr. Latham, what about the COVID-19 pandemic grabbed his and Dr. Wilson's interest? You know, at the beginning, I discounted the possibility that it came from a lab because it seemed this is something that doesn't happen that often. You know, the coincidence of there being a virology lab in Wuhan didn't seem like a big deal, but that was because I hadn't really investigated it very carefully. But when we discovered that that was the leading location in the world for the collection of bat coronaviruses and that there was gain-of-function research going on at that lab, And uh, the third thing that happened was I had an interview on Democracy Now! in which Peter Daszak told the host that a lab escape was an impossibility. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the quarantine report. For more on the origins of the coronavirus, we're joined by a zoologist who has long studied diseases that cross the animal-human divide. Dr. Peter Daszak is with us. He's a disease ecologist, the president of EcoHealth Alliance, a nonprofit that works globally to identify and study our vulnerabilities to emerging infectious disease. Talk about the origins of the coronavirus, Dr. Daszak. First, the, the, uh, the idea that this virus escaped from the lab is just pure baloney. It's simply not true. I've been working with that lab for 15 years. They're some of the best scientists in the world. The, there was no viral isolate in the lab. There was no cultured virus that there's anything related to uh, SARS coronavirus 2. So it's just not possible. And, and like you say, it's really a politicization of, of the origins of a pandemic, and it's really unfortunate. And I don't really know why these conspiracy theories get such traction. I think that people just have trouble understanding what's going on on the planet. To me, that is a red flag. When you know the independent facts of there being a major coronavirus research facility in Wuhan, and that this is the kind of virus that they were studying there. It seemed obvious that you cannot rule out the possibility. And so when someone says something that is so uh, concrete and definitive sounding, when they cannot possibly have that information in the opening you know, month or two of the coronavirus pandemic, that raised a red flag for me. And when I discovered his conflicts of interest, for example, then we realized that there's a case to answer here. Right from the outset of the COVID-19 pandemic, people around the world noticed that there seemed to be a crazy coincidence at play. A novel coronavirus from the SARS family that seemingly had its origins in horseshoe bats was taking hold in Wuhan, a city 1,000 miles from southern China where such bats lived. But that happens to have several virology labs, including the Wuhan Institute of Virology that just happens to host the world's most extensive research into SARS-type coronaviruses. Mystery surrounds the high-security lab at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, making it the target of conspiracy theories about the origin of the virus. The Institute granted NBC News the first independent media access to the lab. Yuan Zheming is the director. We had an encounter this novel coronavirus before, he says. Without having this virus, there's no way that it could be leaked from the lab. Has anyone at the lab, either personnel or connected to the lab, a third-party contractor, tested positive for this virus? No. Nobody? Nobody. So, 
So you're 100% confident there was no leak, no accident? I'm confident there's no leak. 100%. 100%. The Wuhan Institute of Virology, the lab at the center of the mystery regarding the COVID-19 pandemic, is home to the research of Dr. Shi Zheng Li, who is one of the world's foremost experts on SARS-type coronaviruses. Finally, I had the chance to sit down with China's Batwoman. That's the name they gave to Dr. Shi Zheng Li, a virologist from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, who has been, together with her lab, at the center of theories surrounding the origin of the Nobel coronavirus. Accusations against her and her lab mounted. U.S. politicians, for instance, claimed there was credible or even a significant amount of evidence that the virus came from the Wuhan lab, where she was the leading coronavirus expert. I asked my questions in English, and Dr. Shi answered them in Chinese. She said that her lab had been doing research for 15 years and all their work had been published. We also have a library of our very own genetic sequences, she said, and experimental records of all of our work related to the virus, which are accessible for people to check. Interestingly, in 2012, when the six miners in Mojang became ill, word reached Dr. Shi and her staff from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and they immediately headed to Mojang, and they took back to Wuhan with them as much biological material as they could carry from the mine's many bats. Dr. Shi later told Scientific American that, quote, the mine stunk like hell because, quote, bat guano covered in fungus littered the cave. The premise of all her research was basically that coronaviruses can jump from bats to people. This appeared to be the perfect confirmation. This is basically the premise of her research being acted out in this mine. And so what she did was she went and searched. We think we now think 11 different times in the mine to basically sample the bats to find as many coronaviruses in those bats as possible. They took anal swab samples of bats. They took blood samples of bats. Because she is arguably the, the leading coronavirus researcher in China, that's why she ends up taking literally thousands of samples from this cave and taking them back to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. After gene sequencing the viruses contained in the samples, Dr. Shi and her staff realized that they had found two as-of-yet unclassified beta-coronavirus variants, possibly a whole new species of beta-coronavirus, and what they dubbed a, quote, new strain of SARS-like coronavirus. They published these findings in 2016 in the journal Virologica Sinica in a paper titled Coexistence of Multiple Coronaviruses in Several Bat Colonies in an Abandoned Mineshaft. When publishing this paper, Dr. Shi and her colleagues entered into research databases a partial gene sequence from the mine that they named BT-CoV-4991. There's several things interesting about that publication. One is that they report a sequence called BT-COV-4991. And this 4991 is not a whole genome, it's about 370 nucleotides worth of genetic sequence. One of the things that's interesting about that paper is it makes no mention of the minus outbreak. 
So that just as there was sample from a mine in Mojang County in, in Yunnan province. You know, she's there to sample because of that outbreak, but there's no mention of the miners' outbreak in that paper. And then at the end of the paper, it says these viruses like 4991, because they're very closely related to SARS, should be studied carefully. But then there's basically no mention ever in the subsequent scientific literature from Zheng Li Shi or anyone else of this 4991 sequence. Nothing on the surface at least, nothing is done with these mind samples. Dr. Shi and her co-authors state in their paper that, quote, coronavirus co-infection was detected in all six bat species, a phenomenon that fosters recombination and promotes the emergence of novel virus strains. Scientific American put it more simply, explaining that, quote, in many cases, multiple viral strains had infected a single animal, turning the bat into a flying factory for new viruses. Dr. Shi's paper about 4991 was published in 2016. In January 2020, when SARS-CoV-2 had begun to infect the citizens of Wuhan in the Hubei province of China, it was Dr. Shi who would be one of the first scientists in the world to publish the full gene sequence of the novel virus. She did so in a paper called A Pneumonia Outbreak Associated with a New Coronavirus of Probable Bad Origin. What's very interesting about this paper is what she included alongside the gene sequence of SARS-CoV-2. This paper is published, and at the same time, she publishes the full-length genome of a virus that's collected in Yunnan and it's basically something from their freezers, but it's basically the nearest related virus. So it's presumably the ancestor of the SARS-2 virus. This virus that was then and still is the closest known relative of SARS-CoV-2 was named RATG13. When that paper is published, all we really know about that sequence is that it's in possession of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Now, what the paper doesn't say is that 4991 and RATG13 are basically the same thing. So the nearest known relative of the SARS-CoV-2 virus is a virus called RATG13. And RATG13 is identical to BT-CoV-4991, the virus Dr. Shi had collected from the anal swab of a bat in the cave where the Mojang miners became infected with a mystery pneumonia-causing virus. So they have the exact same genome sequence, and they have come from the exact same bat anal swab sample. So what she's done is basically renamed that sample that we know came from an abandoned mine in Mojang and renamed it RATG13. But there's no information given in the scientific paper about where that came from. And that means that no one can make any connection between the mining outbreak and the mine itself and that ancestral virus. And that seems a very curious thing, right? Like why would you not mention the presumptive ancestor of the SARS-2 virus came from Yunnan, that it came from a mine, that you collected it, and that it was associated with a virus outbreak in 2012. This fact, that 4991 and RATG13 were one and the same, was confirmed by a team of married biologists working in Pune, India. Doctors Monali Rahulkar and Rahul Bahulakar. I'm Monali Rahulkar. I'm doctorate in microbiology. My husband is also a biologist. 
is also phd in botany now i work as a uh, scientist in a uh, government institute in pune that is in maharashtra state dr rahulkar having gone into lockdown had a lot of free time on her hands so i started reading about sars like coronaviruses and then i started reading the first paper by zahu et al and zenglishi and uh, since it was the closest relative i started hunting information on ratg 13 but then end of april i got this uh, information there was one paper by dean bengston which said that ratg 13 could be 4991 so that 4991 is ratg 13 this connection was already established so i took the 4991 accession number i blasted it and i found that yeah it not 100% match to this ratg 13 When Dr. Rahulkar says that she blasted it, referring to the gene sequence of RATG13, what that means is that she ran the gene sequence through an algorithmic tool called BLAST, which stands for Basic Local Alignment Search Tool. So let's step back for clarity for a moment and summarize what we have. In 2016, Dr. Shi Zheng Li of the Wuhan Institute of Virology published a partial sequence of a coronavirus that she found in the caves of Yunnan and named that partial sequence BT COVI-4991. Then in 2020, after people began falling ill in Wuhan with a mystery pneumonia, Dr. Shi was tasked with determining what virus these people had. And after running gene sequences on samples taken from patients in a Wuhan hospital, Dr. Shi published one of the first gene sequences of SARS-CoV-2. She included in that paper the gene sequence of a virus that was called RATG13. Dr. Shi did not make it clear where RATG13 came from in that paper, and it was curious researchers like Dr. Rahulkar who noticed that hold up, BTCoV4991 and RATG13 are the same thing. But why would she rename a virus that she had already sequenced? A one explanation why Zheng Li Shi decided to publish the whole genome of RATG13 is basically to distract attention away from 4991 because if you publish RATG13 then that is the virus that comes up top of the search list and R and 4991 is basically obscured by that and so that when subsequent people go and search all they find is RATG13 and RATG13 is a supposedly new virus with no scientific history so what RATG13 appears to be is an attempt to cover up a longer history that involves 4991 and a the mine shaft in Yunnan as the covid-19 pandemic unfolded in the US and around the world it was considered bad politic by those in the media and in certain corners of academia to raise the possibility that SARS-CoV-2 escaped from a lab primarily it appeared because any such speculation would associate a person with US President Donald Trump most people were led to believe that SARS-CoV-2 jumped from bats to an intermediary species that was sold as food at the Wuhan seafood market but in January of 2020 The Lancet published a study in which it was shown that 13 of the first 41 people who had been hospitalized with COVID-19 in Wuhan had no connection to the market. Further, tests were run on the animal products available at the market, and none were positive for SARS-CoV-2. Discussion of the origins of SARS-CoV-2 unfortunately became political. In April of 2020, President Trump claimed to have seen evidence that SARS-CoV-2 leaked out of a lab in Wuhan. 
question is, have you seen anything at this point that gives you a high degree of confidence that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was the origin of this virus? Yes, I have. And, and what gives you a high degree of confidence that this originated from the Wuhan Institute of Virology? I can't tell you that. I'm not allowed to tell you that. Prominent national media outlets like CNN tried to punish Trump for these statements, claiming he was contradicting, quote, his own intelligence community, when in reality, their own reporting acknowledged that, quote, the intelligence community is currently exploring two possibilities, but cannot yet assess if the outbreak was the result of an accident at a laboratory in Wuhan or began through contact with infected animals. Trump's Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, also made statements supporting the notion that the administration was privy to intelligence that gave the lab leak hypothesis credible backing. The Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, as we mentioned, again linking the coronavirus outbreak to a lab in Wuhan. I can tell you that there is a significant amount of evidence that this came from that laboratory in Wuhan. The media, however, couldn't help but always set a tone that the lab leak hypothesis was fringe. Our senior news editor, Roz Krasny, is in Washington. And Roz, is there a logical endpoint that we can see with regard to all this antagonism from Pompeo, the others in the administration? It's been interesting how this theory about the Wuhan lab, lab has really uh, moved from the fringes of uh, the Republican circles right to the center, right to the president and Pompeo. Secretary Pompeo would go on to note that, quote, the world hasn't gained access to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And he was correct. The Chinese Communist Party was preventing an international investigation into the origins of SARS-CoV-2. It would ultimately take more than a year for a team of World Health Organization investigators to be granted access to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. In the meantime, curious researchers had to investigate from the outside, and they turned up some interesting findings. Now, as the world failed to properly investigate the origin of COVID-19, a network of researchers and scientists have emerged over the past year, joined together by a desire to get to the bottom of the mystery. They live all over the world and had no connection before the pandemic. They call themselves DRASTIC. DRASTIC is an acronym for Decentralized Radical Autonomous Search Team Investigating COVID-19. One of the few DRASTIC members to publicly identify himself is a data scientist named Gilles Demenouve. Like Dr. Latham, Mr. Demenouve became concerned when he saw so much certainty that SARS-CoV-2 had a natural origin, such as the statement that was run in The Lancet in March of 2020, signed by 27 scientists that read, quote, we stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. You know, I'm a scientist. I've got a fairly good scientific background behind me. And when I see nonsense, usually I, I can spot it. The Lancet letter was not science. It didn't look like science. It didn't smell like science. It didn't quack like science. It wasn't science. And that really, really annoyed me. It's not conspiracy. It's just, you know, looking at the available information, finding some elements that show you that the official story at the time didn't make any sense. Dr. Rahulkar is now also a member of Drastic. After she released a preprint that she co-authored with her husband, Dr. Rahulkar was contacted by a member of the Drastic Collective, who goes by the name The Seeker. The Seeker asked her why she had not included a reference to a master's thesis by a Chinese doctor named Li Zhu. 
Li Zhu just happened to have been one of the doctors attending to the six minors at the Kunming Hospital back in 2012. And it turns out, he wrote his thesis on the mystery illness the minors were suffering from. So then he sent me the link, of the Chinese version of the master thesis, and then told me how to over translate it. Then we put some details about those pneumonia cases in the minors also, a small paragraph on that, that these were very similar to the symptoms what were found in COVID and so on. When doctors Latham and Wilson became aware of this master's thesis, they realized how incredibly important it was. And they quickly decided that partial translations done with Google Translate were insufficient. So we organized the translation by a native Chinese speaker. And what the translation revealed was a whole set of pieces of information. For example, the closeness of the minor's symptoms with current symptoms of COVID-19. Xu Zhengli, for some reason, tried to downplay what happened in that mine. She tried to say that it was most likely a fungal infection. The master thesis that we found out there may explain a bit what's going on there. At the end of the master thesis, there's, there's a very important paragraph where they say, uh, actually, she gently got it wrong. For many years, she said that you cannot have direct infection from bat to human. And these cases prove for the first time that this idea, this could be wrong. The seeker didn't just find this master's thesis that described in detail the cases of the six minors. He also found a relevant PhD thesis. The latest thing that we have written about is a PhD thesis from 2016, which basically is written by a student of George Gao, who is now head of China's CDC. And he's a virologist. And this thesis basically says that the Wuhan Institute of Virology conducted tests on the samples that they took from the miners and that those samples tested positive for coronaviruses. So this is a big development in our view because Zhengli Shi has argued that these miners had a fungus infection and that would make the Mojang miners entirely moot. You know, it basically renders the whole thing irrelevant. But what this PhD says is that that's not the conclusion that Zheng Li Shi reached in 2016. Another scientist who dedicated herself to uncovering the truth of SARS-CoV-2's origins is Dr. Alina Chan, a molecular biologist working out of Harvard and MIT's Broad Institute. As the COVID-19 pandemic unfolded, like Dr. Rahulkar, Dr. Chan locked down in her home and began reading all of the available scientific literature on SARS-CoV-2. Her research turned up something strange. SARS-CoV-2 seemed very well adapted to humans, unlike SARS-1 when it first emerged. Dr. Chan then co-authored a preprint titled, SARS-CoV-2 is well adapted for humans. What does this mean for re-emergence? In the paper, Dr. Chan and her co-author state, quote, We were surprised to find that SARS-CoV-2 resembles SARS-CoV in the late phase of the 2003 epidemic, after SARS-CoV had developed several advantageous adaptations for human transmission. Our observations suggest that by the time SARS-CoV-2 was first detected in late 2019, it was already pre-adapted to human transmission to an extent similar to late epidemic SARS-CoV. The sudden appearance of a highly infectious SARS-CoV-2 
presents a major cause for concern that should motivate stronger international efforts to identify the source and prevent near-future re-emergence. I spoke with Dr. Chan via email, but she respectfully declined to do an interview because she had already done several, and she didn't want to be asked the same questions over and over. One of the interviews she had done was for a podcast called Good Chemistry. Here is a brief portion of that interview in which she describes her work regarding SARS-CoV-2. What we did there was to compare SARS to the SARS-1. By the time we detected this virus in December 2019, it was already good to go. So it, it, didn't, it didn't need any more dramatic changes in its uh, genome or in its spike to become better at transmitting between humans. And some people, even scientists have said, like, duh. <laughs> Isn't it obvious? <laughs> Just from the, the r naught, you can tell that it's a really highly transmissible virus. I'm like, yes, but you need to kind of show the working, like show, show the data. And so when we compared to the SARS-1 in the first two to three months of it, you could see that the SARS-1 virus is picking up like dozens, like tens of mutations in, in, that, in that first two months. Uh, but for SARS-2, there's like, barely anything, and it was more similar to the late phase, the late stage SARS-1. The first SARS outbreak began in 2002 in Guangdong, China, and was considered contained by the WHO by July of 2003. It is believed, but still debated, that SARS-1, which is also a beta coronavirus that originates in horseshoe bats, jumped first to an animal called a palm civet before jumping to humans. It's not proven, proven. So there is a little bit of doubt, but for the most part, what most people believe, the virus came originally from bats, then was uh, then infected palm civets, and then spread into the human population. And there were a number of what appeared to be independent jumps of the virus from palm civets into people, which make it reasonably convincing that that's basically the pattern of infection. MERS, or Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, which is caused by a coronavirus called MERS-CoV, occurs mostly on the Arabian Peninsula, as camels are the intermediary species between bats and humans. Ordinarily, bat viruses cannot infect people. There are exceptions to that, but most bat viruses cannot infect people. So what tends to be happening in these cases, we think, is that uh, the bat virus spreads into an intermediate species and obviously bats come into contact with lots and lots and lots of different species. And when it comes into one that is uh, suitable for adapting the virus to people, then people basically become vulnerable. And so this is what happened with MERS. There were multiple jumps from dromedaries, camels basically, into people. And MERS turned out not to be very well transmissible between people, and so the virus died out. But it was a scary situation. But when it comes to SARS-CoV-2, there is currently no species that has been identified as the intermediary host in which the virus was able to evolve and become transferable to humans. Several have been suggested and ruled out. One of the pointers that this is a lab escape is the total failure to find a zoonotic origin. So relatively soon after MERS was identified. Researchers identified dromedaries and camels as an intermediate species. They found more or less identical viruses in those camels. And a roughly similar story unfolded in the case of SARS-1. It took longer, I would say, because, you know, the technology was nowhere near as good as it is now. 
the understanding was nowhere near as good as it is now. But basically we're in a situation today where we can do all this like high-powered sequencing. We have much better understanding of virus ecology. We, you know, everyone agrees that this is a virus that came from bats, so you go straight to bats. And what's happened is all the searching and all the hypothesizing has basically come up with a series of empty hands. You know, we've had pangolin stories, we've had snake stories, we've had civet stories, we've had you know, was it a farm origin? Was it, you know, there's all these possibilities. And, but it's relatively easy to rule these out. Essentially, what that says is, presumably that, you know, the more you look and the less you find, that basically reduces the likelihood that there really is a zoonotic origin. Before leaving office as the Trump presidency was winding down, Mike Pompeo's State Department released a fact sheet titled Activity at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The fact sheet condemns the Chinese Communist Party's secrecy, but goes on to state that the U.S. government does not know conclusively where SARS-CoV-2 originated. Then the fact sheet lays out activity that might point to a lab leak as the virus's origin. It states first, quote, The U.S. government has reason to believe that several researchers inside the Wuhan Institute of Virology became sick in autumn 2019 before the first identified case of the outbreak, with symptoms consistent with both COVID-19 and common seasonal illnesses. This raises questions about the credibility of Wuhan Institute of Virology senior researcher Shi Zhengli's public claim that there was, quote, zero infection among the Institute's staff and students of SARS-CoV-2 or SARS-related viruses. The statement then goes on to say, quote, Accidental infections in labs have caused several previous virus outbreaks in China and elsewhere, including a 2004 SARS outbreak in Beijing that infected nine people, killing one. Further down the statement are points about the type of research engaged in at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Quote, starting in at least 2016, and with no indication of a stop prior to the COVID-19 outbreak, Wuhan Institute of Virology researchers conducted experiments involving RATG-13, the bat coronavirus identified by the Institute in January 2020 as its closest sample to SARS-CoV-2, 96.2% similar. The Wuhan Institute of Virology has a published record of conducting gain-of-function research to engineer chimeric viruses, but the Institute has not been transparent or consistent about its record of studying viruses most similar to the COVID-19 virus, including RATG-13, which it sampled from a cave in Yunnan province in 2013 after several miners died of SARS-like illness. In February of 2021, President Trump's Deputy National Security Advisor, Matthew Pottinger, went on Face the Nation to talk to the American public about the COVID pandemic. Welcome back to Face the Nation. Matthew Pottinger was the deputy national security advisor during the Trump administration and one of the first people inside the White House to sound the alarm about the coronavirus as it emerged last year. If you weigh the circumstantial evidence, the ledger on the side of uh, an explanation that says that this resulted from some kind of human error, it far outweighs the, the, the side of the scale that says this was uh, some natural outbreak. We have very strong reason to believe 
that uh, the Chinese military was doing secret uh, classified animal experiments uh, in that same laboratory going all the way back to at least 2017. Uh, we have good reason to believe that there was an outbreak of flu-like illness among uh, researchers working in the Wuhan Institute of Virology in the fall of 2019, uh, but right, immediately before the first uh, uh, documented cases uh, came to light. The point made in the State Department fact sheet and restated by Pottinger about staff at the Wuhan Institute of Virology becoming ill not only contradicts early statements made by the Institute's higher-ups that no workers had come down with illnesses, but also brings to mind reporting by NBC from May of 2020, in which they claim they saw an intelligence report that, quote, says there was no cell phone activity in a high-security portion of the Wuhan Institute of Virology from October 7th through October 24th, 2019, and that there may have been a hazardous event sometime between October 6th and October 11th. U.S. intelligence officials are now redoubling efforts to investigate the origins of COVID-19. The orders come from President Biden. Here's the statement. It says the intelligence community is split on whether the virus came from human contact with an infected animal or emerged in a laboratory accident. We know the closest known relative of SARS-CoV-2, RATG-13, was in Dr. Shi Zhengli's freezer at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So isn't this sort of open and shut? Mm, not so fast. You know, the puzzle of RATG13 is that even though it is the closest living ancestor to the SARS-2 virus, is that it's still 4% different. There's 1,100 roughly nucleotides difference. So by normal patterns, that is uh, maybe 30 or 40 or 50 years worth of coronavirus evolution. So if RATG13 is still 40 years worth of evolution away from being SARS-CoV-2 itself, how could SARS-CoV-2 have leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Dr. Latham has some ideas about that. Join us for part two of origins, birth of a pandemic. Origins was written, reported, and edited by me, John Duffy. Our producer was Ray Novoshelsky. Field audio recording by Kristen Turo. Original score by Zachary Walter. Origins was an independent project by Double Asterisk and is kept ad-free by listeners like you. Please consider a donation to our Patreon account by visiting patreon.com forward slash double asterisk media. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at asterisk underscore double.